0: Father, we thank you so much for your presence in our lives. We rest in you the knowledge of your sovereignty, knowing that you love us, that you're working at your perfect will. We thank you, Jesus, for this relationship we have in you. Lord, I pray that everyone here would know you or have asked you to come and take away their sin and be their savior, Lord. But I know there may be some people that are on the fence. I just pray, Lord, that as we open up your word and we look at a text that we seem quite familiar with, that you would just encourage us from your word. Holy Spirit, teach us, illuminate. Lord, we need you. Lord, I know I need you every day. And we trust you because you're God and you're perfect and you're loving and infinite in all these attributes that are amazing. We love you, Lord. Bless these men and women in this room and this time together. Thank you for the staff that serve us. And we pray your will would continue to be done here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you I've known for many, many years. Um, some of you, this is my first summer and, and we haven't really gotten that close because we haven't been able to get that close. But um, I, my, I have three siblings, a younger sister, older brother, older sister. We were a military family. Uh, my dad was in the army when he retired. He was the lieutenant colonel, but we were just living on a, a, a major salary for some time. I didn't like it because as a kid, you know, you get paid once a month, and, and by the time you got to the last week and a half of the month, there was no food, and my brother and I were like rats scrounging in the kitchen trying to find, fighting over an old banana, but uh, we would take vacation at my grandparents. We were, uh, for four years, my dad was stationed at Walter Reed Medical Hospital in Washington, D.C., and my grandparents, the fun ones, they were um in california so we had the whole united states and we had a pop-up camper Woo some of y'all haven't done the pop-up applying, singing, yes kick, um that sound oh i just it brings back memories um we'd hook it up to the old buick station wagon and we would roll across the united states now when it was time to stop somewhere we couldn't afford hotel rooms no, 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 no. We stayed at KOA campgrounds. Right on KOA. Yeah. because <sighs> uh, But there was like a, some sort of, back in the day, there was some sort of like catalog and it told you different places and the associations of the KOAs. And we checked those things out. Well, we there was, a, there was another family and this lady was, uh, she would always write the camp directors and she wanted to find out what amenities they had because you didn't know if they had a swimming pool, which would've been awesome. You could hook up your electrical, and your, and then there'd be a place to dump the 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 gray water, black water, you know, the sewage out. They had, you know, that was pretty wow. And then there'd be some where you literally all you had was a plug. Nothing else. And so you didn't know. And so this gal, she didn't want to find out. And she she'd write the camp director, and she'd find out. Does it have a snack shop? Does it have? Does your campground have toilets? A lot of times my family, we would just it'd be raining out and dad'd say, Okay, it's time to get a shower. And we'd go out in our skivvies and we'd just, Woo! so this lady she writes these camp directors, and she wanted to know, and she got this one point about this, about the amenities, and she asked, Does your campground have its own toilets? But then she she was a proper lady and she didn't feel comfortable writing that. So she wrote bathroom commode instead of toilets. And then she felt that was a little too formal, so she wrote does your campground have its own BC for bathroom commode? Well, the camp director at this one camp didn't have a clue what she was talking about. He was ready to answer all the other questions, but couldn't understand, you know, what, does, your, does your campground have its own BC? So finally, after about a week of, of thinking and asking his maintenance guy and all that, he realized she must be talking about the local Baptist church. And he sent her this reply. He says, dear madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter. But I now take pleasure in informing you that there's a BC located nine miles north of the campground, and it's capable of seating 250 people at one time. Now, I admit it's quite a ways away, but if you're in the habit of going regularly, you'll be glad to know a number of people take their lunches and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And I would like to say that it pains me very much to not be able to go more regularly. But it's not because of a lack of desire on our part. You see, as we grow older, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come to our campground, perhaps I can go with you the first time and sit with you and introduce you to all the other people. We are a friendly community. Uh, it didn't happen that way. But um, fun story, I think it's just always a fun one, being a camp guy and, and associating with KOAs kind of thing. It's always fun. But that whole little simple confusion, just a little bit off, can send you kind of on a, you know, in a wrong direction. And so I, I enjoy teaching to motivate people to godliness, toward Christ, who he is, the person of Jesus. Christ didn't die to make us smarter knowing more Bible. He didn't die to be nicer people. He wants us to know Him, an intimate relationship with Him, and His Word speaks. And what I'm going to do on this this morning is really more of what I've done in Bible study. I never really know before summer starts. I'll have like three or four different talks kind of working on them, and and just different texts, and what do I want to do, and and then I want to teach the whole Bible in one hour. And I want you to have it all before you go. And, uh, and then when it gets down to week one, I've got to make a decision. And then I start trying to slice off this and cut this. And I really felt the Lord wanted me to do this this morning. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Any of you all, VeggieTales, Shack, and Benny. And I thought, you know, I always thought I knew this text. But what what I want to do is I want to go through it, and I want to do it patiently enough that we start to see what the Spirit of God wanted us to see by allowing, seeing repetition, and and to kind of go, okay, get into the story. Really go there. Be there in your mind's eye. Picture what would it be like if I was there at the plain of Dura? What would that be like if there was this image? And then what what does the Spirit of God want us to take from that? And so we're gonna, we're gonna make some observations through this text. And I've given you the text partially because normally I do this with a highlighter and a pen and, and I do this manually, but I did it on the computer so I could print it. But this is a great exercise to do on a regular basis where you just take the text and print it out and then start marking it up and see things. You go, ooh, that's interesting. Why did they repeat that? Why do you think that there's so much emphasis on that at first? And then, oh, how it spins. And what maybe is the key verse that all this hinges on? And what do you think the Spirit of God is saying through the author? And so that's I just give this to you because this is fun to do with your family. It's great to do in a Bible study. Just slowly work through the text and let it speak to you. Don't go into it just trying to make it fit, but let it talk to you. And so that's what we're going to do. And I've, I have found that it has been extremely helpful for me and I'm hearing that it's been helpful for you to get into this text, make some op- observations, and then what might be the spirit, what might the spirit want you to be applying or, uh, uh, or, or, or having you recognize might be applicable for your life in context with what has happened here, okay? So that's where we're gonna go, that's what we're gonna do. At the beginning of it, oh, and by the way, some of you, <clears throat> you are uh, beaver personalities, meaning you're very detailed. I won't do this to you today, But once in a blue moon, I'll intentionally skip a blank because your personalities go crazy. Even if you're going to throw the handout away, you still have to complete the handout fully before you can throw it away. Some of you are going, really? I go, yes, there are people in here that have those imbalances. But they're the ones that you want to be operating on you or doing your teeth and things like that because they're very thorough. They want to make sure that that root canal is perfectly done, not because they care about you. They care about them, and they can't not do it right. (laughs) Where the otters in the room, the the opposite personality type, yeah, woo! It's like, yeah, talk about us, woo! They've already doodled on the green sheet of paper. They're like, what, yeah. They're the ones where if they're your dentist, God help you, because if something else gets distracting and fun, they're going for it. So anyway, but we'll fill in these blanks. I'll we'll try to make sure we don't miss any of them and, uh, and go from there. Now, the beginning, top of the page, I just put this down. Again, this is a month ago, month and a half ago, and I just put this because it seemed to be relevant after studying this. I just started off in these days, for me, in these days, it seems easy to get my eyes off Jesus, his word and his will. With all that's been going on in this pandemic and all that's going on with schools and closings and, you know, it just the chaos. It just seems really easy to get my eyes off of Jesus, off of his word, off of his will. I found myself looking at the news with more passion than I did the word of God. So that being said, I get my eyes off of his word, will, and who he is, and I get it onto the issues of daily living. I get it onto the chaos of the world and the fear of of a deteriorating culture. Now, this next phrase, I don't know where it started in my life, but I've been saying it for decades. The skill of faith, the skill of faith is the ability to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever talked about faith in the context of a skill. We saw some talent last night, violin, Joelle playing that violin. It's like, wow, she has skills, Some of the dance moves, bringing it back, touching head to toes, scary, splits. I always envy people who can do the splits, but I always feel like the whole body is just going to go in half. But there's skill in this dancing, and there's skill in music, and there's skill in... But do we think about faith? Now, I grew up in the era of film photography. Boo. Some of you that are younger go, what? We used to have to go buy a roll of film. 12 pictures, 24, 36. Cost you more, the more you get. You put it into the camera, you cut those cameras, wind it all up. Then you take and you just get that many pictures. There's not like, and then you can't see them. So you go on this vacation and you take your family, you're down in Chicago, you're in front of the, you know, It's a museum. And you're like, wow. And then you you just trust that you picked the stranger walking by who has photo skills. Because the rest of your life is going to be remembered on how good they took that picture, how well they took that picture. But no, you just go, oh, could you take this? Like, oh, sure. Well-meaning, well-meaning person. No skill whatsoever. You stand there, get the family together. Cheese. Click. Do you want me to take another? Okay. Because each picture costs. Ready? Cheese. Click. Thank you so much. And you're praising this person. Thank you so much. Not knowing that in two weeks you're going to be cursing them. Because the first picture looks like they've been drinking. Blurry. You're all framed in the picture. The next picture, your head's a cut off. Very focused body down. You don't know it till you take the rule of film. You take it to the the developing uh, business. You take it in, you drop it off. They say, come back in three days. You come back in three days and they hand you the pictures and you're so excited. You open up that little piece of paper flap. You pull out the pictures and then you go to those and you just get mad. And you want to find that person. And you want to hurt that person. Because for the rest of your family's earthly life, those are the two pictures you get to look at and to try to remember how good you look. We want to put Jesus in the center as we frame our views every day, moment by moment, We want to keep Jesus in the center of our view of our minds and our hearts. And you are skillful in your faith if you're able to keep Jesus centered and focused. It is something I continue to work at. I will tell you that it helps me to work with the college students. When I see their passion and I see how they just get after it, I go, they've only been here. Some just went through training for four days. That's all we could get pulled off with everything going on. And then they just, some of them just showed up on Saturday for the second half. And they're knocking it out of the park. And they're fired up for Jesus. And I see them and it spurs me and and it just reminds me, what are we here for? What are we doing? I'm not here to suck air and eat groceries. God's got a purpose for me and he's got a purpose for you. But when we get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the things of this world, We miss out on his calling, what he wants from us at that moment, on that day. And the skill of faith is the ability to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So I go at my faith wanting to deepen my skill, asking the spirit to do that within me. And I would say it's simply a yielding of our will to his. I wrap up the Christian walk in that one word, yieldedness. How yielded am I? So when I start to get over here and I'm focusing on all these issues, and trust me, just like with you, I've got tons of them that distract and that are serious and that are concerning. And then I go, no, okay, Lord. I go, i gonna put you back in the focus. How do you want me to approach these things? Back in the day, I don't remember, but it was, I think it was Coach Riley or something with the Bulls or something. I just remember back I was young and they talked about going to the championship and he talked about peripheral opponents never really heard that phrase peripheral opponents periphery on the side opponents and they were talking about the big game and he says i'm not worried about my players playing whatever the other team was the opponents i'm not worried about that at all they're ready for that my concern going into this championship at the end of the week is the peripheral opponents all the relatives they didn't know they had that want tickets." All the endorsement deals that they're wrestling with and wondering if they're gonna get if they play well. Thinking about what it looks like for the next contract coming up, depending on how the game goes. All these things that have nothing to do with the championship game and their real opponent. That's what he was concerned about their team losing to because those peripheral opponents is what distracts you from playing well in the game. And we always have peripheral opponents. Let's keep them on the periphery And then let's focus on Jesus. So let's get into the text, chapter 3 of Daniel. And uh, let's just start. We're going to start reading. We'll read the first paragraph. The king's golden image. Here we go. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. So it's probably about 90 feet by 9 feet. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you... The command is given, O peoples, nations and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the fruit, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipes and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at this time, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. If you were young and you were babysitting for me when my kids were young, I'm like, hey, oh, thanks. Great. Oh, I've been so excited you're here because I need to go on a date with my wife. I've been working too much. And we need to get out. So thanks for coming. Oh, oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, this is Scoop. Uh, it's, it's almost six o'clock dinner time. Dinner's on the counter here. Just have the kids sit at the, uh, at the, at the table, at the nook, and uh, feed them. Don't let them horse around in the kitchen. And then after d- uh, dinner's over, there's some Rice Krispie treats. So they can stay seated. Don't have them get up. Just bring it to them, and they can eat the Chris- Rice Krispie treat once they eat their vegetables. But don't let them horse around in the kitchen. Um, after that, you guys can watch a video Veggie Tales, uh, Rack, Shack, and Benny. It's already in the VCR. So they can just go out in the living room uh, and then uh, don't let them horse around in the kitchen. Have them go get their PJs on and then come back to the living room. They can bring their stuff, favorite stuffed animal and they can watch Rack, Shack, and Benny. But don't let them play in the kitchen. Horse around in there. Okay, then they're going to get ready for bed. Uh, just have them brush their teeth. Uh, no horse around in the kitchen or the bathroom. Uh, and then have them get into bed, read them a Bible Bible story, and then pray with them. They love to pray. Um, sometimes they want to get up and get a glass of water, but don't let them horse around the kitchen. Uh, what would you think is my biggest concern after that conversation? Excellent. Doesn't really change with this author and the spirit of God as well. 11 times. This is why I like doing this. 11 times it says the king made or the king set up. 11 times in this chapter. It's no different than me saying 11 times don't let the kid's horse around in the kitchen. There's a reason 10 times we're gonna see that it says furnace of blazing fire. It's gonna say the furnace or the furnace of blazing fire. 10 times. Six times it's gonna say fall down and worship. And then a few more times it talks about worship, leaving out fall down. Okay. There's a reason, and I just have to stop. And again, I didn't go to a commentary. I, I mean, I went to seminary, got the minimum degree possible with the minimum amount of hours. I'm not like my brother, who's the New Testament theologian, who's written two books, of which he's maybe sold 50, <laughs> because there are four seminary professors in this little area of study, and, you know, he's the guy that when someone came up to him when he was preaching, he says, what kind of translation do you use? King James, I hope. And he, and he goes, Greek. Greek. He was teaching from the Greek. Like just, okay, that's not me, okay? (laughs) Yeah, keep going. Um, So I'm just looking at this as a simple person, kind of a lay person, just going, okay, I'm reading the Bible. But using the brain God gave me to go, why why would the author? Everything is super intentional with God. There's no accidents in the text. Well, what we're going to find out is as we read this text, we're getting the picture that Nebuchadnezzar is the closest thing at this time to God on earth. He had all power in whatever he said, you do or you die. And his decisions were immediate. And so we need to kind of capture this a little bit that the reason it keeps repeating Nebuchadnezzar had set up in the fiery furnace. Now, what we're going to see here is that this is built on a plain flat. Why? So all the nations, all the peoples can come and worship the image that the king had set up. They have all these musical instruments. We had it repeated a couple times and not just The bands were there, or they had the groups there playing. It's listing instruments. Why? It gives this greatness of the king. All these leaders, not just saying the high officials. No, it lists them, the satraps, the prefects, the judges, the magistrates. It goes on and on to where you kind of go, I get it. And it's like, good. We, the spirit, the God, the Trinity, want you to get that king was huge little g but god on earth ungodly but the most powerful being okay so just as you get into that i start to look at it i go whoa then he goes on to say next paragraph for this reason at that time certain chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the jews now nebuchadnezzar would conquer kingdoms and he'd bring back the most talented people to put into his administration. He would reprogram them, train them, and then use them. Sounds good. He took everything else as well of any value, but he took people and he plugged them in. And so there were Jews in the kingdom because they conquered Judah, and he had these Jews that he took uh, from uh and, and they're in exile here uh serving in the kingdom. So the Chaldeans, they're complaining about the Jews, and he brings charges, and they say, they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Rakshak and Benny. These men, O king, have discarded you They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So let's just pause a moment and let's just go back to the the first observation in in the handout, the first blank. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold that he set on the plain of Dura. The world will give you idols that seem worthy of worship. I mean, if you were there and you went out there and you went to this plane and all of a sudden you see this giant golden statue and you're like, and it probably looked like Nebuchadnezzar and you're like, that's impressive. And then all these people show up and all the high officials with all their garb and all their stuff and how they dress up and then and you, and, and you see all these musicians and you go, this is like some rock fest concert thing. It's the early days of a Woodstocky kind of thing. And all these musicians, like, whoa. And it was decreed by the king, and everyone did it. And you're like, wow, that's pretty good. They're all here. Except there's a big furnace. Have you thought about it? If you went to some big concert, Taylor Swift, <laughs> And then there, are next to the stage is this massive, elevated furnace. And they're manning it and they're, they're stoking it and they're putting f- wood and it's getting hotter and they have these billow things that are It's so hot, you're like, Taylor Swift. No, because it's Taylor Swift, she's gonna sing some songs. But in this situation, There's an image to be worshipped. And if you worship it, you can jam to the music. You can feel good with all the other men and women of all these nations that are assembled who serve Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't, you die now. As I start to get into the picture, and I start to picture this, I start to go, I would be so so scared and i would be thinking where can i hide because i do not want to worship an image jews worship yahweh that's it i would want to be hiding but you can't it's a plane everyone's around you they all fall on their faces you can't really hide with that one but immediately i'll be thrown into the furnace So let's first kind of look at the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't make them to be immortals. They were young men, ripped from their parents and their families and their culture. They were plugged into another culture that was very pagan. And now they have to make a decision. Are they going to bow to a false god, breaking the commandment, violating their own conscience, or are they going to die today? don't think for a moment they weren't scared to death. So for me, I realize I may be scared, but I can still make the right decision. I may be terrified of what the consequences may be, but I'm going to honor the Lord and obey the Lord, even if it means I die. That's my hope. That's my goal. That's where I'm focused on Jesus. Give me that strength. But I just, a little reality here. Sometimes I think we make these Bible, historical Bible characters, because this is history, superheroes they had to be scared to death so let's keep going okay so the world will give you idols that seem worthy of worship now we typically know the for me the, the spirit i just say lord and i just typed in for me you don't have this but this is my thoughts what does that mean for me well typically i think about money i think about fame is idols and pleasure and then the lord said don't forget about your kids Ooh, my kids aren't idols are they when they were growing up, wanting them to fit in and wanting them to be successful and all the things that they, you want for them? And where's your focus? Is it on the Lord and how he wants you to be a great parent? Or do you have your eyes on your kids and they're an extension of you and you're living through them or you're fearing for them? I'm not denying that there's not fear for our kids. I'm not saying there aren't justifiable reasons why we might be scared for our kids and their futures. But is that our focus? I have an 18-year lease with a potential four-year extension for my children. Five years extension, maybe. But they're not mine. I am to help them launch. So when they were younger, I was always praying, and my wife and I were praying, Lord, what do you want for them as they develop? How do you want them to develop? And what kept coming back was what my my dad and mom would always do. They wanted us to have a compass that was true north, that we knew individually what exactly the Spirit wants of us because we're looking to the Spirit, and it's not my parents' faith, it's my faith. So when we got into situations, we would respond with the Spirit of God guiding us. That was the most important thing. To get there meant that we couldn't have them in all the sports running around all over the country doing sports all the time because we wouldn't be able to allow the time for talk and learning in life and so my parents always said you can do whatever sports you want but you will be home at six o'clock sharp because we're gonna have dinner together and we're gonna read the bible together and we're gonna fellowship together that was a priority now the lord knew that i might not hold to that kind of priority with my kids so he just had it so that my kids didn't really want to play sports And I'm like, but my wife was an athlete and I was an athlete. And I had visions of coaching and, and how my kids were going to be like, yeah, and starting and this and that. And the Lord just goes, mm, I'm going to help you. And then in those times, I remember visiting one of my board members in Texas and, and great guy and five kids and they were all athletic kids. And, and I remember swinging by his, his, his place, a his place of work and and he was in between patients, and I was just like, hey, and we were talking, because he's about an hour away from me, and, and, and we were talking, and we were buddies, and he goes, oh, yeah, you know, it's Friday, and he's like, I'm about to go take two of my kids to baseball, and blah, 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 and then he goes, yeah, and oh, I, you know, she's going to be driving off with the kids, and they were just going all the time. And then the Lord, because he's ahead of me in life, and I wanted to learn from him, I'd much rather learn from his mistakes than make them myself, and so I just, and the Lord gave me this question, but kind of popped in my head for my own curiosity, I go, Dan, what's the end game? He looks at me, I go, like, why are you doing all this with your kids? What, what, what is your goal? Like, you would think that if you're doing all this and spending all this money and all this time, that there was a strategic plan for this. And I was thinking he'd have an explanation because he's a smart guy. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. He goes back to his patient. I'm walking out. His wife's actually coming in. I go, hey, and we start talking. I said, yeah, I was just talking to your husband. It was a great time. Blah, blah, blah. She goes, yeah, yeah, I'm running off. I go, oh, yeah, I know. He told me you guys were doing that. And then I asked her the same question. I go, can I ask you a question? What's your end game for this? What is your goal in all this sports and running around with your kids year after year, month after month, year after year? She looks at me. I don't know. Now, the Lord used it to get a hold of me. Say, make sure you're filtering your children's lives and how you train them up through my filter that I have for you. Because I have such good in store for you. You can't imagine. But if you do it your way, you may mess things up. I'll still be there and I'll still love you and I'll still take care of you. But it it may be messier than it could have been. And there may be way more joys. I'm at a time where my youngest two, Turbo and Snowflurry, Snowflurry, it helps Sarah, chef Alex's family and the kids, and she nannies for them during the summer, so Chef Alex can live here, in the kitchen. <laughs> I sacrifice my child, and he then sacrifices his family and his life for us. I'm joking, but he does work a lot. But my youngest two kids, they're they're, they're, they're that's it. And my other ones got married, and one lives with us, and probably live with us because health issues and and trauma we got there, but they love each other. You can't pay enough money to have your kids throughout the phases of life love each other, not fight, mine. mm -mm. And now as adults, they enjoy each other and they love Jesus with all their heart. There is no greater gift God can give me with regards to my children than the fact they love Him with all their hearts and they love each other. I wouldn't have gotten there. Michelle and I would never have gotten there had we done it our way. But yes, did I feel sad that my kids didn't do all the sports everyone else did and they'd start to play a sport and then after one season they didn't really want to play again? And you're not American. And all these desires and dreams I had of coaching, it didn't happen. But I am now at a place I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want it any other way. So I just share this with you as I'm ahead of you, some of you, beware that these idols, they could be your kids, they could be your comfort, they could be your health, but submit it to God and say, how do you want me to approach it? Let's keep going. Verse four to six, often there's no warning when trials and temptations come. Often there is no warning when trials and temptations come. All of a sudden they're doing their life, and then all of a sudden they're called to the plane of Dura and they've got to worship. And that's just how life is. All of a sudden, boom, you're put with a decision, and you're like, whoa, what, what? What do do I have to do? And so, my comment, the 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 Spirit gave me this comment from myself, is don't put off spiritual fitness workouts now. You play how you practice. So I need to be practicing obedience to the Lord, submission to the Lord, focusing on the Lord all the time, day after day, when things aren't going poorly or they're not stressful and I don't have a bunch of temptations and trials. Why? So when they come, I'm ready to play how I practiced. So don't put that off. You say, well, I don't really know if I have time to have a Bible, be in a Bible study. You may not have time not to because you may need it during the calmer time. So when you get into it, you've got that word hidden in your heart that you might not sin against God. And then he can strengthen you. So verse 8 to 12, you will always find jealous people around to attack and accuse you. Happy day. Woohoo, let's put that on a plaque, put it in our living room. But it's true. The Chaldeans, they're over whispering to the king. We saw a few Jews that aren't doing it. People are trying to, they're going to gun, after. everyone's going to gun for somebody. There's, it's always happening. You will always find jealous people. And the thing is, it doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not. You got pagans out here that are fighting left and right with their neighbors, chopping down the flagpole I heard when I first moved here because the neighbor's flagpole was on casting a shadow on their sitting area. Neighbor won't move it. He's had it there for 20 years. but it's shadows where I put my lawn chair. So one night he goes over and he hacksaws it down welcome to the neighborhood. You're always going to find jealous people that are going to attack and accuse you. The comment that the spirit gave to me as I was processing that and asking him to speak to me, he says, don't try to fully avoid, don't try to fully avoid jealous people. Instead, be filled with the spirit and let him freely free you internally. So what happens is is we have these people that are mean, they're angry, they're jealous, they play games. Yeah, we shouldn't want them as our best friends. And yes, we're not going to trust them. The Bible doesn't tell us to trust others. It says love others. But that doesn't mean we want to run away from them. The Lord wants to get us to a place where we can have people that are full of hate and anger and jealousy and all those kinds of negative attributes and sinful traits, and that we can live at peace internally with them. Now, this is not when you elbow your spouse, but I'll admit it. There are times I was so mad at my wife. God, why did you make her like that? And the issue was my heart. That's why when people divorce, I mean, I've heard different stats, but what someone said one place I read years ago is like every, if you divorce and remarry within two point two years and a couple months, you're right back to where you were because you didn't change. You didn't learn how to be a different person. And Meet others' needs above your own. And so I realized that there's an an important growth that God wants to do in me to where I can be at peace with people who hate me. And frankly, being where I am, doing what I do, sheerly by my position and title, there are people who don't like me in this community because I run a ministry and I don't pay property taxes as a nonprofit, as other nonprofits don't, but they're mad at me. So do I isolate or do I continue to pray for people and say, Lord, show me how to love them. I don't really like to, doesn't come easy, but they're not gonna know Jesus unless I represent you accurately. So verse 12, not all Christians around you will do the right thing. Not all Christians around you will do what is right. Now I took that from verse 12. Verse 12 says, there are certain Jews, and they only name three. Now, I'm sorry, but Nebuchadnezzar, when he took over Judea or Judah, he, he he captured more than three. So this is where when you go slowly in the text, you start to pick up things. You go, well, where are all the other Jews? It's says certain Jews, not all the Jews. Shouldn't it have been that all the Jews shouldn't have bowed down? Uh-huh. They recited Shema. They, they followed one God, Yahweh. That's it. And yet all of them bowed except the three. So then I'm like, whoa. So that means that I may be in a situation and my Christian friends, people close to me, they don't do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's good for me to be aware of that. Be prepared. Not all Christians are going to do the right thing. And then as I asked the Lord to speak to me on the application of this, he just said, don't let it justify your disobedience. Just because they're not doing the right thing, don't let that be a justification that you don't do what God leads you to do. And then I put another little parenthesis for myself. confusing It's confusing to my kids when your, their Christian friends are worldly. So, There is a component here where you're going to have kids, your kids are going to be around other Christian kids, and the other Christian kids don't act like Christian kids. And also be aware that you might be the Christian kids, your kids may be the ones that aren't acting like Jesus as well. But I'm just saying, my mom always said, my dad always said, don't underestimate the sinful nature of our boys, honey. Because she was like, our boys wouldn't do that. Don't underestimate the sinful nature of our boys. I don't know why they never talked about the girls in my family, but was the boys. But it's confusing. And for us, the Lord worked it out that we sent our kids to public school during grade school because we didn't have the money for Christian school. But it worked out because they were around non-Christians. And so when Bubba was cussing and stuff and the teacher leave the room and saying dirty things, my daughter would come home and go, Bubba said this. I don't even know what it means, but everyone was like, whoa. And then we worked through it. And But we like, does Bubba know Jesus? No, well, let's pray for him. And so it worked. It's a little more tricky to go, does Bubba know Jesus? Oh, his dad's the pastor. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you're a pastor in here, I'm, it's just not you. Your kids are awesome. Let's keep going. All right. 14 and 15, the world will give you a second invitation to sin. Okay, have we gotten there yet? We haven't gotten there. Let's read. Okay, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, because again, these three Jews wouldn't bow. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, picture that. God on earth, whatever he says happens, you could be torn limb from limb in front of everyone. They could hook you up to three different ox, four different oxen, different limbs, and just rip you to shreds in front of everyone. He could do that. No one's going to stop it. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these three men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image I have made very well. Okay, he just gave them a second chance, a second invitation to sin, to worship idols. That happens all the time for us. And in this world, there's always extra invitations. We just need to be aware of it and then start to create strategies and ask the Lord to guide us To not see this, not to go there, not to talk about that, not get accountability, whatever it may be in your area, a struggle. So he's ready to forgive them in a sense if they would bow down very well. Then he goes on. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And this is the whole question. This whole thing hinges on this phrase. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Because he's god little g on earth what god could deliver you out of my hands and this whole thing is building up to this story everything is about nebuchadnezzar he's huge and everyone else is small and whatever he says all these instruments all these leaders all these diplomats and listing them out so you kind of get this feeling oh my word because who can deliver you out of my hands and then the shift starts Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Now, I used to think, well, that's a little smarty pants, isn't it? I'm not going to answer you, king. <laughs> no, they were Jews. He knew the cultures of the kingdoms he conquered. He knew that they believed in one God, Yahweh. He's not dumb. He knew they didn't bow down and he knew why they didn't bow down. So they weren't being disrespectful. They were using the same, you'll see it bolded, O Nebuchadnezzar, O king, O king. They were being the same respectful uh, people in the kingdom as other people responding to the king. Okay, so they weren't disrespectful. Sometimes people can take some liberty on some things, but let the text speak. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, "O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter because you know we're Jewish and you know we only worship Yahweh. And so therefore we can't bow down because that would be going against our God. I mean, we don't have to explain that basically. And And they knew that. So it was very respectful. Then they go on to say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. So to answer the question, what gods is there who could deliver you out of my hands? They're answering, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand. So they're just saying, they're, they're submitting to God. It's not about them. They're just saying how big Yahweh is. And then this is powerful. This is kind of what we usually take out of the text. O king, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I'm not there yet to be able to respond this way. But I want to get there. I get my tail in a knot a little tiffs with people in the neighborhood or something if they do and they cross the pot and they're growing things on the property across the property line and they're trying to encroach and i get i get all fired up and it's like maybe they just need jesus and maybe you know it's not that big a deal but i get tight how am i going to do this but the lord knows and the lord knows that that's my desire is to submit to him and become more obedient like rack shack and benny so let's look at the verse 16. Our God honoring actions should do the talking. So in verse 16, where they say, we don't have, you know, we don't need to give an answer. Our God honoring actions, they should do the talking. And I love a couple of phrases. St. Francis of Assisi said this. I don't you know, really know anything about him. My brother probably does. St. Francis of Assisi, but I love saying it. This is fun. St. Francis of Assisi. He said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Boom, pow, that's good. And then Ralph Waldo Emerson said, your actions speak so loudly, I can't hear you anymore because our actions speak. Verse 16, also not having to be understood and accepted is a strength. That's important. Not having to be understood and accepted is a strength. We so, I'm one who I just so badly want everyone to understand my motives. I wasn't trying to do that. That wasn't, and I just, and the Lord has showed me over the years, they're not going to understand you. They're not going to always know why. They're going to misread you and misjudge you. That's just a part of this broken world. Get comfortable with it in the sense that you're doing what you can do to accurately represent Jesus, accurately represent your intended motives but I've got to get comfortable with that. And so I've learned to just be comfortable with the fact that not everyone's going to understand me or like me or accept me. Now, the note to myself is, we're not talking about the arrogant type of self-righteous, you know, kind of arrogance. They don't like me, it doesn't really matter. I'm God's agent. We're not talking that way. It must be grounded in God's word and his spirit. It has to be spirit-filled, spirit-enabled peace when you're not accepted or understood. Verse 17 and 18, God gives strength when needed to obey, even when the outcome is unknown. They knew God could deliver. They stood on that truth because they know it's true. He's all powerful. Yet, he might not, but it's not gonna change our decision. We're still not gonna worship. We're gonna go into the furnace. God gives us that strength. They were scared to death. God gave them the strength to stand on what they knew was true and what was right. We will have, my note to myself is we will have fear. It goes with being human. But we can still obey knowing it's best. And then I love this quote. <clears throat> I don't know anything about the early church fathers. <clears throat> I admit it. Um, and <clears throat> but there was a quote that Martin Luther made that stuck with me. And once I say it, you'll go, yeah, that fits you for remembering that quote. But it was a very powerful quote, and I just go, I love it and so I can't wait to you know, see him in heaven and go, dude, I love that. He made the comment that if God told me to go eat the horse dung off the street, not only would I do it, I'd know it's good for me. Boom. Now, that's just gross. Some of you are like, you like that? Out of all the great writings, you picked that? Yeah, because I'm an action guy. I'm a do it guy. And And he's making such a clear point that God is so good and whatever God asks of us, it's good. And that we can trust him and we should obey him. And even if it's eating poop off the street, if God says do it, not only would I obey him, I will know it's good for me. Do you believe that? The more you believe that, the easier your faith, the stronger your skill of faith is gonna be. He doesn't just do good. He is good. He doesn't just do good things. He is good. It's his nature, his character. That's why I can rest in the sovereignty of God because of who he is. That's comforting. All right, turn the page over. Text, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. Okay, you can picture this dude just blowing a fuse. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered. I love that. Don't make me alter my facial expression. (laughs) But you picture this guy going, someone who had everything, got everything he wanted all the time. So narcissistic. And all of a sudden this isn't happening and everyone is watching. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it usually is heated. Not sure how you do that. I mean, you know, really hot's really hot, but let's go seven times really hot. I mean, that works with jalapenos and then ghost peppers. and It works with Mexican food. It works with other types of Indian food. But doesn't work. I mean, fire, I mean, the, the point, I mean, I guess it can get hotter, but I mean, the point is it doesn't take much. Match hurts. So he, he eats it seven times hotter, again, showing this power, what he wants, his, his anger, he, comm- he commanded certain valiant warriors. Okay, so he didn't just have some of his helpers. He asked for the valiant warriors. Picture the valiant warriors. Now they look like superheroes. King, king, king. Yes, King. <clears throat> he, he gets a bunch of valiant warriors, he summons the valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and all their other clothes. So basically they're in this royal garments, and they're just these guys are just wrapping them with rope, cinching it up tight, strong warriors. This is their chance to impress the king. How dare you? Because to them, he was probably God on earth tying them up in their clothes, and they were cast them in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Meshach and Abednego. The fire was so hot, it burned up, it killed the valiant warriors who were carrying Meshach and Abednego because it wasn't just some handcuffs. It was, they were torn. They were tied up. It was the old cartoon on the railroad tracks. Sorry, some of y'all didn't watch those cartoons like I did. <coughs> All right. So they were slewed, slain. Sorry, having fun with that one. <coughs> then these men carried up, they were slain. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Now, this is probably one of my most favorite verses, clearly, of this text. Because it's something I blew over for years, having read this before. In green. What is that first word in that sentence? Fell. And what's the last? Last. Three words. What? You mean the God of the universe, who's seeing this display of loyalty, who's going to rescue them from the flames, doesn't let the ropes come off when they're falling? Come on, God! Think about it. This is an elevated platform. They're being carried, be tossed into this furnace. They get up there. These valiant warriors all of a sudden, boom, die. They're all tied up. They can't support themselves. They fall into the furnace, still tied up. Ouch. That's why you get into the text and picture it. Then you say, well, God... What, what might be your reasoning for that? Now, they didn't say that they had concussions, but I guarantee you that hurt. They fell still tied up. There's a reason God has that in there, and so therefore, what is it for us? So let's look at the handout. Verse 19, 21, the world will intimidate you the best it can to get you to conform. So verse 19 to 21, the world will intimidate you the best it can to get you to conform. His wrath, his altered facial expression, his threats. All I have to say is two words, social media. It's always been a harsh and broken world world we've lived in. And we got to get used to it. Just Focus on Jesus, skill of faith, focus on Jesus. Verse uh, Chapter three, verse 20, the Lord provided people to enter the affliction with us. Now, I was processing this and I had some things here in the text and I had written some stuff out and I bounced it off my daughter. Now, my daughter, she's 25, going on 26 next month. She's had severe health issues, surgeries, chronic pain, a connective tissue disorder, nothing we can do to change it. There's nothing else we can do. We've done the full rounds at U of M, Cleveland Clinic, spent a month at Mayo, and we're now living with it. 2016 and 2017 were a living hell. Awful. I'm not even sure how I made it. I don't remember much about it. And we still have pain and difficulty. But as I was sharing this with her, the next one says that pain is inevitable. In life, That's kind of what my point was. And she, she gives me a little depth to it because in the midst of all her chronic pain that she has every day, she reminded me that God has people to enter the affliction with us. That was you and mom. That's still you and mom. And I started thinking about that. I didn't think about it, it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't just Shadrach. And that these people that enter the affliction with us, they may not have the strength to carry us out of the affliction, but they're with us. And we need to recognize that and thank the Lord that there are people that are with us. During 2016 and 17, there were a number of people who were praying for me. Now, there were some people who said, hey, can I talk to your daughter? And I said, no. Can, 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 I want to give her this. I said, you can. I'll, I'll just, I'll, 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 I'll present it to her if she can handle it. Because well-intended people that loved our kids, loved us, wanted to give scripture or wanted to pray with them and wanted to encourage them, and that was very noble. But what I learned through all this is, when you come and say God's with you and He's gonna, he can deliver you, he may not. And it hurts. It hurts. Even though what you're saying is true, God could heal, And sometimes when we're in that time, and some of you know it because you've been in the furnace of affliction, you just want someone to just say, I'm sorry, this is awful. I love you. I'm praying. I even liked it sometimes when people say, that sucks. You can't say that word. That's a cuss word to my mom. But it's like, you get it. You get it. It sucks. And there were people who just prayed for us day after day, month after month, year after year. They didn't have to do anything. They just were in the affliction with us because they prayed for us and I knew they loved us. And there'd be times where people would just come and leave something, whether it be food whether it be a gift card, they just did things. and They didn't want any explanation. Please don't feel you need to respond. We love you. And I'm telling you, it was the hands and feet of God when I could barely have the energy to get up and function. They were in the affliction with us. So I share that with you, that you probably weren't hearing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego critiquing each other. They probably were looking at each other and saying, you're doing good. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's okay. God's with us. Wow, that struck a chord. They weren't giving each other advice. They were just in it with each other. So I don't know why I'm laboring this point because I usually don't go this long on it. But I got to know that there's people in here that are suffering and we're with you, and we're sorry. And this isn't it. There's an afterlife that we'll enjoy. No sickness, no sadness, no death, no night, no pain ever again, and we'll be with our Lord and with other believers. And that day can't come fast enough for me. And I had some really good advice from someone who had suffered ahead of me a very painful death of a child. And they said to me, because they're in ministry, and they said, you're going to have all these relationships that you've had. And he goes, you're going to live for some time now in this little sliver, and it's okay. And so some of you all know during those years, I wasn't really as available, and I tried to be available, but I was living in a sliver. I still go to church late, and I leave early, because I don't have the capacity for small talk. I have capacity for you and my staff. That's where the Lord's given me enough sliver that I'm like, I love you all. And I love hanging out. I love talking. But outside of you all and my staff, I just don't have the energy and it's okay. The other thing they said to me that I share with you because it was really good of input for me is, they said, you're gonna have some really crazy thoughts. I mean, really crazy thoughts that you don't really wanna tell anyone, but it's par for the course. It's normal and it's okay. And so I tell you, during those two years, I actually had thoughts of getting my whole family home, unhooking the gas line and blowing up the home. I had thoughts of getting in the car, all of us together and wrecking it and killing us all because I couldn't make it. I didn't have the capacity in myself to keep going. But it was a thought. I submitted it to God. I didn't act on it, but to have thoughts like that in the midst of that kind of pain and suffering and trauma, it's kind of par for the course. And I just needed to be able to tell some pl- close friends, people I work with, say, "Pray for me because I'm really struggling." And they'd say, "I'm sorry, we will." Sometimes they pray right then. Sometimes just, you know, I'd say, "I just don't want to pray right now, but if you could pray for me," and they love me and my wife, and my daughter. Now, we're not going to be out of the hole, but we're not in 2016 and 17 anymore. And I hope it never repeats. Well, it can't because some of the surgeries took out stuff. But we're just, I want you to be encouraged that the Lord is with you and he loves you and you're not alone in the affliction. That not only the Lord provides people to enter the affliction with us, but also the Lord walks in the flames with us, which we haven't read yet, but we're going to get to that. So verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and he stood up in haste and he said to his high officials, notice, he just says high officials. Why? He's not that big anymore. The whole thing was at the beginning was presenting how big Nebuchadnezzar the king was. And they list out all these different high officials just to play up how big he was. And I believe that the author puts just high officials because again, he's not as big as we think he is. Yahweh's bigger. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king astounded, stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, was it not three men cast and bound in the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king, he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out you servants of the most high God, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the furnace, in the midst of the furnace of fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had had no effect on their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Going over to the verse 20, the Lord provides people to enter the affliction. By the way, they may not be physically strong to carry us out, but they're with us and support us. Verse 24 to 25, the Lord walks in the flames with us. And this is what the Lord, talking to my daughter, showed me in application to that one. The Lord walks with us in the flames. The comment that I wrote says this, you don't always see him in the smoke. But God and his word promises he's there, so hold fast to that. The hardest part about 2016 and 17, besides the fact that we thought our daughter was dying in front of our faces, was that we didn't hear anything from God. It was the most silent months I have ever had in my entire life, it was, I knew God's word is him speaking, I knew what it said, but I'm talking about that intangible presence, kind of sensing him, I felt, and my wife and I felt so alone, and we would cry out, God, say something! And in his goodness, which confuses me, he didn't speak. Do I have a theological explanation for that? I'll eat the dung off the street if God tells me to, and I'll know what's good for me. Jesus on the cross, he felt it. Father, where are you? Elijah sees God do amazing things. The priests of Baal and Asherah are killed and fire had come down and wiped out the altar and, and then he's running scared. God, where are you? Well, if Elijah and Jesus had a season and time of that, then I'm not alone. But I'll tell you it was hard. And what I had to do was just keep clinging and Michelle and I would just keep praying and we'd just keep trusting who God is. And we are stronger now than we would have ever been. Had that not happened, I wouldn't be the man that I am, the the follower of Jesus that I am with the maturity and the strength that I have had that not happened. I wouldn't wish it on anyone in the experiential sense, but if you're in that right now, I want to be in the flame with you. I want to be and support you. And I want to remind you, he's there. He's there. Hold to what he says when you can't feel him in the present sense. He's still there. And so therefore, that's where that phrase came for me is you don't always see him in the smoke. He's in the furnace with you. He's in the fire. But sometimes there's so much smoke that you're like, where are you? He's there. 23 and 25, the verses. Pain is inevitable in life. And I ended on that. And then my daughter helped me. But pain provides opportunities for the Lord to miraculously show up, liberate, and redeem. Intimacy will come. That connection will come. Pain is inevitable, though. They fell tied up into the flame. So if you think, name it, claim it, and prosperity stuff, you're fooling yourself. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Trouble is a part of this broken world. You got more trouble if you're in sin. So I learned it's way easier, in my opinion, to follow Jesus than to follow myself and my flesh. Because with flesh means sin. Sin leads to more sin because sin never satisfies and sin destroys. So there's a lot of pain that's unnecessary because of sin. So sin less. But in this broken world, there is pain. Pain and you fall tied up into furnaces of affliction, and it hurts. But redemption and liberation and flourishing comes. It just takes time. And So the takeaway for me is God's timing is confusing. But he's God, and he gets that privilege to do it how he wants. But I accept the fact that his timing is confusing. I'm confused on why he didn't let him break out right when they're falling and catch themselves with the power push up spin out and go, whoa, king, check us out. I mean, how cool would that have been? He didn't. Wham, wham, wham. All right. Verse 25, walking with God brings freedom and inner safety. He loosened them, he liberated them, and they walked about freely without any harm. Walking with God brings freedom and inner safety. And then Mike point that the spirit led me to write was my experience it takes some time it takes time sometimes it's just like a walk it doesn't happen immediately it takes time and sometimes that time is your entire life you may have that affliction your entire life that thorn in the flesh but god is with you and he's greater and he's able and there are people that are with you in the affliction and so i have been adjusting my eyes to see what he's up to and what the good that he's done okay verse Last paragraph, Nebuchadnezzar responded. Well, we read that one. Oh, no, we have not Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God. Can you believe it? Nebuchadnezzar, who was it was all about him. And now he is saying after this little short event, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him of violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, That speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house reduced to a rubbish heap. Wow, pretty rough dude. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. He just answered his first question about what God can deliver you from my hand. There is no other God other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who can deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So last two points. Our, God, our godly behavior spurs change in others. Our godly behavior spurs change in others. And then the note that I had for myself from the Lord is, it can be slow to materialize. <laughs> Don't stop running the marathon. Run the race with perseverance, as Hebrews 12:1 and 2 say. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Focus, Daniel, son, focus. And then verse 30, God's abundant blessings flow. Excuse me, God's abundant blessings follow obedience. God's abundant blessings follow obedience. You can't outgive God. You can't. You just can't. And then the last thing on that comment, I quoted abundant blessings for myself, and I said, with abundant blessings, don't predefine that. Hindsight will be 2020 with spirit-filled lenses on. Don't say, well, this is what I see. I want my kids to do this, and I want this to happen. Okay, you're trying to predetermine abundant blessings. It's not gonna turn out the way you think it's gonna. Just be obedient, and then look back and see what God has done. Through all this affliction in the last five years, my marriage is stronger than it ever could have been. I am a way better husband to the point that my wife likes me now. (laughs) I see people with way more compassion. Results aren't a primary focus for me. Obedience is. There's a whole lot of things that I've changed. And it's been solidified. I knew these things here and there over the years, but they solidified And they became assimilated into my being in the last five years through the furnace of affliction. So there's abundant blessings. There are. And it also helps to know this life isn't it. So, last, the choice to bow or burn. (coughs) Not something I would put on a church marquee. The choice to bow or burn. If you bow to the idols, are you going to be thrown in the furnace because of obedience and possibly burn? Five things here, quick points. This choice reveals who we really worship. It, it reveals who we really worship. Secondly, being willing to burn gives God the opportunity to be real and powerful, it allows Him to show Himself. We get out of the way and He shows up. It's not always on our timeline, His timing's confusing, but He does show up and He's real and He's powerful. Third, being willing to burn solidifies and strengthens our trust in God. It solidifies, it strengthens our trust in God. I trust God more now than I ever have. He is more awesome than he's ever been. I am seeing who he is better. He's always been awesome, but I'm seeing more accurately. Fourth, if we bow and avoid obeying God, we miss divine opportunities for intimacy with our savior. And we experience the painful consequences from our disobedience. That intimacy, I long for intimacy with the Lord. That's what was so hard about 2016 and 17. I just didn't hear him. I didn't feel any intimacy. It was there, but I just didn't sense it. But he shows up and the more we obey him and we we are willing to do whatever the cost, whatever the cost is, we experience intimacy with our Savior. And then fifth, if we bow with the masses, we miss out on real life. And our life is wasted with little impact on others while misrepresenting who Jesus is. It breaks my heart, by the way, that people that don't know Jesus have seen Christians act unchrist like And they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And then the Lord has said, well, you may not like that in others, but make sure that's not you. And so I've really been working at how to love my neighbors, even if it means giving ground where maybe it wasn't just and that I'm being taken advantage of. But for eternity's sake, for them, not that it's going to turn into a salvation, but I don't want it to be a block on, the, uh, on, the, on this, this path to Jesus. I don't want to misrepresent Christ. I don't want him to be. I, so I tell people, I said, you know, I apologize to people for how I've acted and people have acted that say they're Christians. And I say, Jesus, he's awesome. I mean, he's awesome. And I show him, you know, there's four books and then the Bible. If you have a Bible, open it up a little bit to the right. And then there's like three names, four names that you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Open it like John. Oh my goodness! Start reading about Jesus. Blow your mind. He was awesome. That's the same Jesus that wants to get to know you. That's the same Jesus that wanted me to sit and talk with you at this time. But anyway, real life is found in that relationship with Jesus, Father. We we just are grateful for the word that you have provided us, that you have protected your scriptures for all these thousands of years, and we're grateful that the authors listened to your Spirit and wrote what you wanted written. God, I thank you for these men and women that are here and their willingness to come, to listen, to open themselves up to you, Lord. We want to be conformed into your image, Jesus. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do this in us. And we just want to yield at a greater degree. So Lord, I pray comfort. I'm not sure who all is hurting, but I feel like you wanted me to go a little bit longer and deeper and more honest on the suffering component. And so Lord, I pray that they would sense your presence, that you would speak that you would be intimate with them and that we and the friends and family with them could encourage them just by praying and saying they love, love them. So Lord, we trust you and we love you and we thank you for these, these times to be together in Jesus' name, amen.